0: well for those of you who are new to faith bible church i'm pastor steve and i have the privilege of being able to open up and look at god's word together with you today and we are in a study right now here at faith bible church in the book of amos it's an old testament book of a prophet and uh, if you don't quite know how to get to amos in the bible feel free to look it up in the front of your bible and get a page number if you're using an electronic device it's probably easier But we are in Amos chapter six today. And as we have been going along in our study, we've seen that one of the major themes in the book of Amos is justice. That justice is important to God. To not treat people fairly. To do what's right to others is an offense to God. So Amos, and we've seen now four different sermons from the prophet Amos. Amos, in this book, has been announcing that God is going to bring discipline upon the people of Israel because they have not been doing what is right. And we've seen examples thus far in the book of Amos how the political leaders and the the elite of the people of Israel have actually been working behind the scenes and they've been paying off judges so that they could cheat people out of their land. Fellow countrymen, fellow Israelites, cheating them out of their land, taking it over and then allowing that person to stay on their own land but demanding large portions of their crop as payment just to stay on their own land. There's no such thing as justice right now. And if someone is an honest judge, they're held with disdain. And so God raised up this prophet Amos and sent Amos to the people with a message that he's going to discipline them. But as we're going to see this morning in Amos 6, Israel's elite, the powerful, the wealthy are ignoring that message. They are, in a sense, just blocking it out. And they are ignoring it by focusing instead on all of their stuff. They are reveling in their wealth. And by reveling in their wealth, they are ignoring God. I'm going to read Amos 6 out loud. You can follow along. In your copy of the word. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. And to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria. The distinguished men of the foremost nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Go over to Kaunah and look and go from there to Hamath the great. Then go down to Gath from the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than yours? Do you put off the day of calamity and would you bring near the seat of violence? Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. Who improvise to the sound of the harp and like David have composed songs for themselves. Who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils. Yet they've not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles. And the sprawlers banqueting will pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself. The Lord God of hosts has declared. I loathe the arrogance of Jacob and detest his citadels. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all it contains. And it will be, if ten men are left in one house, they will die. Then one's uncle or his undertaker will lift him up to carry out his bones from the house. And he will say to the one who's in the innermost part of the house, Is anyone else with you? And that one will say, No one. Then he will answer, Keep quiet. quiet. For the name of the Lord's not to be mentioned. For behold, the Lord is going to command that the great house be smashed to pieces and the small house to fragments. Do horses run on rocks or does one plow them with oxen? Yet you who have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood, you who rejoice and let low debar and say, have we not by our own strength taken carnaim for ourselves? For behold, I am going to raise up a nation against you. O house of Israel, declares the Lord God of hosts, and they will afflict you with the, from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. And one of the see, things that we're going to see today in this word from Amos the prophet, roughly 2,750 years old, is that this message from Amos is just as much needed today as it was back then. Because we can be faced with the same temptation that Israel is faced with. And that is to kind of block God out. When we sense that He's working in our life, when we sense that Maybe there's something in the depths of our soul that's not right between us and God. Maybe you're reading your Bible and you sense, ah, something's not right here. And instead of actually listening to that and adjusting, instead block it out. And what Israel's doing here is they are blocking that out with stuff, with all that they have. The Wall Street Journal this week had an interesting article that about New York City. That you can actually go to a restaurant today in New York City and buy a cup of coffee for $55. It's not Casey's. 55 bucks for a cup of coffee. My middle son is flying to New York right now for a week of training in in Manhattan. And I said to him, Are you going to get a $55 cup of coffee? It seems ludicrous to us, doesn't it? And yet, we live in a culture and a society where, Wow, I want the best of the best. Now, For those of us of more modest background and taste, we just look at that and say that's stupid. However, the tendencies here are very real. The tendencies to block out God, to ignore God by focusing on our things... More than listening to him. And that's what Israel was doing. And one of the things that we're going to see this morning in Amos 6 is as true then as it is today is this. If we try to block out God's voice with our stuff, God is still going to get our attention if you try to ignore god and you are his child he will get your attention and that's very clear this morning here in amos six we're going to begin by focusing in on verses one through seven and god's going to tell israel my discipline is sure he's going to discipline them He's going to discipline his people who revel in their riches and ignore his warnings about their sin. Notice with me, chapter six, verse one begins the exact same way that chapter five eighteen started that we saw last week with the word "whoa." That that startling word. That word that that carries the idea with it of something ominous is about to be said. That word that was used sometimes in funeral messages. Woe! Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. And even though this letter, this prophecy is... Intended mainly for the northern tribes of Israel. He tells the south, Jerusalem, Judah, you need to hear this too. He also says that this is addressed to those on the mountain of Samaria, to the northern tribes. So this is an ominous message to all of Israel. You who are at ease, who are carefree, Self-confident. The next line says to those who feel secure. Remember, this is at a time of the kind of the zenith of the people of Israel. They haven't had any war for quite some time. The land has been at peace. They have great wealth. Everything's going great. Business is good. The people are at ease. They're secure. And here Amos refers to the distinguished men of the foremost of nations, to the elite of the elite, to the wealthy of the society. He says, "You all, all of Israel has been coming to you for advice. This is a message for you, you leaders of Israel. Take a look at the neighbors around you. To Kana, to Hamath, to Gath, verse 2. Are you better than those kingdoms? The implied answer is no way. They're actually larger than Israel and yet they succumb to foreign invaders. So the Lord here is telling Israel that they've been ignoring him. They've been pushing him away. In fact, in verse 3 he says, do you put off the day of Do you think you can just push away the the fact that I've been telling you that I'm going to send discipline on you? And you haven't changed a thing. You're still taking advantage of people. In fact, the second half, verse 3 says, Would you bring near the seat of violence? The New English translation says you establish a reign of violence. You keep taking advantage of people. You You keep cheating people in the courts. They've been ignoring the Lord. And verses 4 through 6 tell us how they've been doing that. They've just been loving their stuff. They've been reveling in their riches. Look at this description. Listen to this those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They are living life. They're living large the point here is not that we shouldn't have a couch or a nice couch. Here they have one that's inlaid with pure ivory. The point is, is that Israel is using their stuff and focusing on their stuff in order to ignore God. They have the finest of the finest. You can just picture them on their, they're lounging around and having the best of the food that's available. The $55 coffee. Just living life to its fullest. It says that they even are, have their own personal music, almost like David writing songs. They, they have songwriters. They, they are just enjoying life. In fact, there's a little word play here. And remember, the Hebrew scriptures do a lot with wordplay, and often we miss that in our English translations. In verse 6, it says they anoint themselves with the finest of oils. That word translated finest there is a word that means it's the best. It's number one. It's it's the lead. It's the absolute best that there is. And then we come down to verse seven. And the same Hebrew word is again is used again, translated differently in English here. A little of same form of the word. It says, "Therefore, they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles." So here's what the wordplay is: Israel, you have to have the best of the best. You've got the first line. You've got the head. So if you have to have the first of everything, guess what? You're going to be first in line on your way out of town. That's, and that would have stuck in their ears because they would have heard that same word repeated. You have to have the first in the oil. You're going to be first in line on the way out of town as you're taken Into captivity by a foreign invader. You see, the Lord here is telling Israel, you've been blocking out my voice by focusing on all your stuff, but I'm not going to let you block me out. I'm going to get your attention. How do we avoid this trap in our own lives? And while we may not be tempted to get a $55 cup of coffee, this is a real trap. That when we start sensing, even subtly sensing that God is wanting us to respond to Him, that when we sense some conviction in our heart, instead of yielding to that conviction, We just start focusing on trying to have more fun. Enjoying our things. Going on a shopping spree. And one person's way of deadening the voice of God. May be different from another person's way. Maybe for me it would be going to Shields And getting as much as I can get. But maybe for you it's something else. But the point is clear. Israel instead of listening to the convicting word of the Lord, is pushing that away, they're deafening their ears to Him, and they're just focusing on having fun and enjoying all of their things. How do we avoid that? For about a year, there's uh, four or five of us pastors here in town that we get together every week, on Thursday mornings and start our day together uh, doing scripture-based prayer. Sometimes we rotate where we meet. Right now we're meeting here in our facility. And we, we'll just open up. We don't talk uh, very much. We just open up, we read a passage of scripture, and then we start praying through that scripture. Kind of like what Pastor Brian did for us this morning, with us this morning. Well this week, our scripture was 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verses 3 through 5. And as we, on Thursday, I was in the depths of looking at Amos 6 and I thought, oh my, these verses are so appropriate for how we are to keep a proper focus with the Lord in the midst of a culture That is very much me-oriented on stuff. Verse 3 says, The Lord's faithful, and He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. That stood out to me. And it says, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you're doing and will continue to do what we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. It was such a reminder to me that to avoid these dangers that we find here in Amos 6, our focus has to remain on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is is our pathway to finding victory through the pitfalls that Israel found themselves here in Amos 6. The Apostle Paul makes this clear for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 the Bible has a lot to say about money and 2 Corinthians 8 is a chapter that's pretty much dedicated to money do you remember that the church was born in Jerusalem and the first church that was born in Jerusalem was very compassionate toward the needs of those who were hurting And they were so loving toward people that they actually sold a lot of their assets just to help the poor. Well, evidently, as time progressed, the church in Jerusalem suffered great persecution. And while they at one time had wealth, now they were suffering from great poverty, And so the Apostle Paul went to the different churches that he had helped uh, give birth to in his missionary journeys and asked them to contribute to the church in Jerusalem. And that's what's happening here in 2 Corinthians 8. Now, now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participating in the support of the saints. So they're asking, can we be part of this offering too? And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you of this gracious work as well. Just as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and the love we inspired into you, see that you abound in this gracious work. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. And then listen to verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We're asking the question, how can you and I avoid this pitfall of pushing God away by focusing on our stuff? And the Apostle Paul's answer is, we focus on the person of Jesus Christ. How did he deal with riches? The riches of enjoying the oneness that he had with the Father, the riches of being in the very throne room of God, he set it all aside, was willing to be born in the humblest of births, lived a sinless life so that he could empty himself of all the privileges of deity to die for you and for me. He became poor so that we could become rich spiritually. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And as we focus on Him, not just on Sunday morning, but as we go through our days, I like to listen to Scripture on my way to the office. Just put in a CD and listen to Scripture. As you maybe have time in the morning to read your Bible or maybe you have Scripture sent to you as, a, as as an instant message on your phone, as a text message or maybe you have Scripture being pushed to you through different websites. However, you are getting a daily diet of Scripture. It, we, it's imperative that we keep the person of Jesus Christ in, our for, in the forefront of our thinking. Because in him we are reminded that he gave up everything for us how are we to respond back to him and if we really focus what he's done for us it's very difficult for us to want to just focus on self with our stuff amos isn't saying it's wrong here to have some nice things Amos is saying it's wrong to ignore God by focusing on our things. It's wrong to push God away by focusing on our stuff. And that's exactly what Israel is doing. Remember down here in verse 7, it says, They want to anoint themselves with the finest of oils, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Referring to the northern peoples of Israel. You're living life, but you're not grieving over the fact that God has said He's going to discipline you because you continue to take advantage of people. So the Lord tells them, discipline's coming because you revel in your riches. And in verses 8 through 14, He's going to tell them discipline's coming because you revel in your pride. Look with me at verse Eight. The middle of the verse says, I loathe the arrogance of Jacob. Again, referring to the northern tribes of Israel. Down in verse 13, he says, You who rejoice and lo Debar, and say, have we not by our own strength taken carnaim for ourselves? Again, we have kind of a play on words here. Israel evidently captured this city called Lodabar. What's hilarious here is the word Lodabar means nothing. It literally means nothing. So Israel is all proud saying, Hey, we captured the city of nothing. We did it. We, We took nothing. We took them captive. And then, they're all proud. In fact, it says that by our own strength, we've taken Karnaim, which is Hebrew meaning two horns. Now, in that culture, a horn was considered something of really strong. They captured this city called Two Horns. It must be twice as strong. We did it by our own strength. And then the Lord says, you are so proud. Guess what? Verse 14 I'm going to raise up a nation against you. In fact, they're going to afflict you from the entrance of Hamath, which is in the north, all the way to the brook of Arabah, which is in the south. And not too many years from when this was written, that's exactly what happens at the hand of the Assyrians. The Lord is telling them, you're, you're caught up in your reveling in riches and in your pride. I've, 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 Amos the prophet has given four messages to the people already saying, stop practicing injustice. But they just keep doing it. It's as if, according to verse 12, you're running horses on the rocks. You are using oxen to plow a rocky hillside. It's silly. Why would you do that? Why would you run your stock and try to plow a cliff? But that's exactly what Israel's doing by continuing to take advantage of people after the Lord told them to stop. So the Lord says it's going to happen. It's going to be so decisive in verses 9 and 10 that When this foreign invader comes in and they come from house to house seeing if there's any survivors. If they find a survivor in a house, they're going to tell him, don't call on the Lord. You don't want to draw attention to yourself. You just better be quiet. It's going to be a devastating triumph on the part of Israel. Right at the heart of this passage is verse 8. Because the Lord takes an oath by his own very being. It's interesting that verse 8 has four different names for God in it. It has the word Adonai, it has Yahweh, it has Elohim, and it has Sabaoth. The Lord God has sworn by Himself, the Lord God of hosts has discla- discla- declared, I loathe the arrogance of Jacob and detest his, his citadels, therefore I will deliver up the city and all it contains. I, that word, that name of God that talks about the Lord being Master, Owner. Yahweh, that name of God that Implicit with it carries the idea that He's active in people's lives. He just doesn't ig- ignore His people. He didn't set the universe in motion and let it just run along natu- natural courses. He's active in our lives. Elohim, all powerful and mighty God, Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, all of the armies of the heavenlies are at His disposal. That is the God. Who said, I just took a pledge by myself. You are going to be taken into captivity. Israel, in their pride, is standing before God saying, you can't tell me what to do. My wife Barbara and I have three little granddaughters. We just think they are precious as anything. Even though they're three little sinners. And... Um, we were all together this week. My, our one son and his wife and little girl are moving to the Netherlands a week from today for one to two years, and um, so we were all together uh, kind of having a, a family meal, and my little granddaughter looks comes right up to me and says to me, you can't tell me what to do. And I thought to myself, well, she took that out of her grandpa's playbook because I said the same thing to my grandpa once. <laughs> my grandfather, my grandpa Benton, was a big man. He was a farmer his whole life in Adair County, Iowa. And uh, I was sitting in a car with my grandpa my grandpa's car waiting for my dad. I remember this vividly. My grandparents were frugal. They were the kind that whenever they went out to eat, when the meal was done, they felt like everything on the table was part of the meal. So that all the basket of crackers would go into my grandma's purse. She kept Ziploc bags so that those little pats of butter all went into a Ziploc, Ziploc. And so whenever you got into their car, um, it would always, if you open the glove box, crackers would fall out. Because they would, keep, they, I don't know if they thought they were going to get stuck in a storm or what. There was always restaurant crackers in the glove box. So I'm a kid, you know, and I'm messing around with the car. I open the glove box, crackers fall all over the place. And I'm just being a little stinker. And my grandfather tells me to stop. And I looked at this big giant man and I said to him You can't tell me what to do Big mistake Big mistake My grandfather made it very clear that he could And he, as soon as my father rejoined the team That was made very clear to me We'll put it that way And you do have the rest of the story there. (laughs) Well, Israel here is doing the same thing with God that I did with my grandpa. They're just looking at him and they are saying to him, you can't tell me what to do. Yes, he can. Because they are his people. And so he makes it very clear to them that even though they've been deaf toward his message and they've deafened their ears by just living life, having a good time and that in, in their pride they are just kind of there saying, oh, I'm going to do what I want to do. It's by our own strength. He tells them I'm going to get your attention. You see God disciplines those who revel in their riches and their pride. So even though you and I probably aren't going to go out and do something lavish, we're not we maybe don't have to have the finest of the finest. What Amos talks about here is real. It's Real for you and it's real for me and that is the tendency when we start feeling conviction in our life to push that away i don't really want to look at my own heart i don't really want to think about how i may not be living for the lord i just want to be happy and instead of Responding to what that convicting work of the Lord is in our lives, it's very easy for us just to revel in our stuff, just to go have a good time, to block him out. But if you're his child, meaning if you've put your trust in the person of Jesus Christ, believing that he is God that died for you and rose again, if you're his child, he doesn't let us get away with that. And just as is true, 2,750 years ago is true today. That he will bring discipline in our lives to get our attention. To get us to yield our hearts back to him. So that once again, we can be in right relationship with him. And enjoy our God. Father, we thank you for these verses. For the hope they bring us. For the encouragement they bring us. And ask that you would um, give us ears to listen to your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.